Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of war to you, thank you and God bless. at this biblical leadership that we have been uh, for the past two weeks now, uh, there were some questions that, that were asked on last week. And I, and I want you to understand that as we look into the sermon series, that if you want to be able to understand the whole picture, you have to be present in the a.m. and the p.m. I'm presenting to you in the mornings the didactic part. That means I'm teaching you in the mornings. In the evening, we're talking about functional application type things, okay? During this sermon series, if you only come in the morning, you're not going to understand fully what we're talking about, okay? Unless you want me to preach a two-hour sermon, okay? I know that you don't want. I know that you don't want to do that. You don't want me to do that, and I don't want y'all slobbering on the chairs. So we split it up. We're going to be doing application in the in the PM. So let's make sure that we are coming back, right? I know that football season started today. I know that the Cowboys play at 315, 325 today, but still come back at five, okay? Questions from last week as we looked at uh, the elders. The, the sermon title for last week was, He Smells Like Sheep. And if you were present last week, uh, in the morning we talked about the characteristics of a man who wants to be an elder. Uh, someone who wants to be an elder uh, Paul talked to, in his uh, pastoral epistles to both Titus and Timothy, he talked to them about what characteristics a man needed to possess in order to be an elder in the church of God, right? And as we looked at that, uh, there were some questions that arose. Uh, the brothers who taught the classes in the PM talked about those questions that arose, and we chatted them up, and I brought out the top three, because these were the ones that were asked the most. Uh, so I want to clear this up before we get started on this week. Uh, first question, can a man be an elder if he has no wife? Now, uh, looking at both Titus and 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we see, uh, turn your Bibles over to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3. And if you have a bulletin, you can write these on your notes, the notes section on the back. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 6, what I'm going to be referencing as I answer this question. And the answer to that question is if a man has never been married, then he doesn't fit in the characteristics or the qualifications of an elder, right? Paul presents his topic of elders as being one woman, one woman, one woman, men, okay? These men are married. He says that these men must be married. Look at 1 Timothy 3.1 and Titus 1.6. You have your answer to that. Also, in a different scenario, if a man was in a marriage and his spouse cheating on, cheated on him. He's presently divorced. Then he no longer has a wife. So he doesn't, that doesn't apply to him, okay? 
He no longer has a wife in that situation, and the eldership does not apply to him. Also, when you look at the same situation, if a single person is unmarried, like you see sometimes uh, single people not qualified to be elders, all right? Uh, biblically speaking, this isn't Chris speaking, right? I'm just standing behind what God's word says. Second question that we had asked last week, can a man be an elder if he has a second wife? Now, we look at the scripture and we look at those verses and it talks about a one woman man, uh, some people's version says husband of one wife. And what we talked about last week was when we read the Bible in context, this is talking about uh, 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 someone having one wife. Now, God does not disqualify someone from being able to be married again if they are the innocent party in a uh, divorce. When you look at, write this down, Matthew 19, verse number 9, uh, the Bible says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity, and that's talking about adultery, and marries another commits adultery, right? This is Jesus himself speaking here. They ask him about divorce, and he explains to them, that if you divorce your wife for anything other than adultery, right, then you continue to commit adultery if you remarry. That's Jesus in Matthew 19.9. All right. Now, if we look at this, if a man has a wife who, is, who was unfaithful and he marries another Christian woman, right, he is not ineligible to be in leadership. That is not a second wife. He is not a polygamist. He does not have two wives because the first marriage was done away with. The first covenant was done away with whenever that divorce happened. Does that make sense? Okay, because we got that question, and I thought that I explained that last week. Okay, and I'm, I want you to really understand. I'm not trying to make light of, uh, of your question, but I want you to understand that if somebody is the innocent party, they have grounds for divorce. If you've been cheated on, you have ground for divorce. The Bible doesn't say that you have to ha- get a divorce, right? Because there are some people who sit in here today who have cheated or been cheated on and decided that they're going to stay with their spouse and they have gone through, worked through that and they've forgiven their spouse. But that is a means for divorce if you have been cheated on. And if you are the innocent party, the Bible does speak about your options as well. And that was another question that was asked is, who is free to remarry? That was another question that was asked. Who is free to remarry? Who can remarry? The Bible talks about this situation. If you are free from this covenant of marriage, which means that you are the innocent party in a divorce, you have divorced your spouse, right? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 39, where he says, a wife. And it's talking about death or adultery. These are the two options where you are free from this covenant that you made in marriage. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if the husband dies, if that covenant is gone, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, only in the Lord. So Paul is stating here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, that if you are in truth uh, free to remarry and you are a Christian, you have to marry another Christian. All right? Okay? All right. If you have any other questions, don't be afraid to ask. I'm not going to put you on blast and put your name by the question, but... This sermon series uh, that we're doing this month, it's not going to be a hallelujah shouting, uh, jumping down the aisle sermon series. This, this sermon series is for the purpose of teaching the church because there is something that we need in this church, and that is both leadership and it is teaching. We need to, we need to provide the environment for growth, and this church cannot grow unless we are taught 
right? All right. Thank you, Sister Rowe. You with me. All right. So let us go to our next slide here as we get into this new sermon series. We're going to be talking about laborers of love, laborers of love. This is another office that is held in the church, and we're going to be talking about deacons today, laborers of love, laborers of love. Now, I'll give you the example on last week. You have that new home smell, right? And in our culture where we are very, very much addicted to reality TV, right, we watch these shows about home renovation and home building, and we see the things where people come and... um, they 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 build pooper scoopers for a living, and they have a $2 million budget in order to renovate their homes, right? And uh, they have these outrageous budgets when, whenever they do, very little to nothing. And they go to this raggedy home, or they build a home from nothing, and then they cover the home up when they're about to present it, and then they show the home off, right? And every time they show the home off after the commercial break, it's this complete, beautiful home that is pictured. But what if you came to your new built home, and it looked like this here. What if it looked like that, right? That was a question I posed to you last week. What if you came to your house, somebody said, this is your new home, this is where you're living, and you were missing your roof, you were missing your windows, you were miss- You don't even have a sidewalk. If it, gets rain- if it starts raining, your house is going to be pretty messy on the inside, right? Now, I-, I present this to you because of this. If we are in the church, and we are immature, this is what we look like. If we are in the church and we don't have biblical leadership, this is what we look like. Paul here, as he stated last week in the book of Titus, as he writes in the pastoral epistle to Titus, he says that I left you here in Crete in order to set things straight. He says there's something more that needs to be done. There's something more than the foundation to the church, which is Jesus Christ, that strong cornerstone that we have to the church. There's a foundation here. It is a home, but it's not a complete home. There are walls that are present. The apostles continue to teach and the world word went out into the world and the church continued to grow. And you have this framework that exists that is the church. But there is something lacking. And Paul says that I speak from God and God speaks through me. And I'm telling you that the church needs to have something and you're lacking it. And so he talks to Titus and he talks to Timothy and he talks to, he starts to tell them that you need to have elders in the church and there's also another office that you need to have in the church and that is the office of deacons. And we talked about last week how an elder, he smells like sheep because an elder is someone who oversees. Just imagine an elder as someone who is flying over the top of people. Not that he is above in the position of authority, but he's looking at the church and he's seeing the direction that is heading. He say, I see a speed bump over here. We need to prepare for that. I see danger ahead over here. We need to prepare for that. I see that this sheep, this brother or this sister over here is behind when everybody else is over here. I need to make sure that this person is brought in with the rest of the group and that they're taken care of. That is the job of an elder. Because it is not biblical for one person to be the person over the whole church. Amen. Amen. There should not be one person who is the person who runs the church. That's not biblical. That's something that we look at in the world. It exists. We see it in Southern Baptists. We see it in Roman Catholic where you have the Pope. It's not biblical. It's not a biblical concept. But the Bible teaches that there are supposed to be some 
form of leadership that exists in the church. And if we don't have leadership, we exist as this house exists here, vulnerable to all kinds of outside influences, and we run the risk of having our church fail. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I want you to know that in our two years, two years at this building, uh, we have not existed in total chaos. There is some form of organization. I believe that I put that organization there. Is it there, Sister Bond? Is it there on the slides? No? Okay. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Now, this is after Paul has just given his qualifications and characteristics of an elder, and he speaks to young Timothy and explains to him what a man should look like if he seeks to be a deacon. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say hold on. All right. So we're all there. First Timothy 3, verse number 8. The Bible reads, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Can we say tested? tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Can we look over to our neighbors and say, is the wife too? The wife, too? Yes, the wife, too. As we looked at last week, it is important what a man's family looks like. If a man cannot have a well-managed household, he will not be able to manage God's house well. Amen? Amen. As we continue, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. Can we say husbands? Can we say one wife? Ruling their children, that means he can't have girlfriends. Yo. All right? Ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. As we look at this here, we, we want to focus our hearts today not on the person who is sitting in front of us or beside us or in the back row. We want to focus our hearts on ourselves because guess what? You, right? You can only control you. Okay? You can only control you. And if this church is to have biblical leadership, it starts with you. Understand that. It's not just the brothers that have responsibilities, but it is both the, or it is all the family. The husbands, the children. Children's, I know that's not a word. But yes, they have responsibility too. Let's start off in uh, what we're, how we're structured currently at Avenue G Church of Christ. Now, currently at the Avenue G Church of Christ, this is how our current structure looks. Brother Arnold, he looks at and is responsible for finance. He's a care group leader, supplies Christian education. He helps out with as well. Now, I want you to understand that... Uh, 
care group leaders. If you don't know what care group you're in yet, two care group leaders are here. Okay? Figure out whose care group you're in because that is important as we'll continue to do home Bible studies. Go back to that first slide, please. Finance. If you got money questions, Brother Arnold is the one to ask. If there are supplies, if we're out of toilet paper, if we're out of paper towels, if we're out of pencils, right? Soap. Don't ask me. I don't know. That's Brother Arnold. Okay? Christian education, he also helps out with. Next one. Brother Rowe. Worship. Is there something that you see, a way that worship could be improved? Brother Rowe is the man to talk to. Sick and shut in, elderly, nursing home. Brother Rowe is the one to talk to. These brothers have a responsibility at this moment in time. Do they hold the office of an elder at this time? No. Do they hold the office of a deacon at this time? No. But what they're doing is, is they're being tested. They're being proven in what they're working in at this moment in time. If you see that worship is lacking, talk to Brother Rowe. If you know someone that's sick, sick and shut in and we don't know about it, talk to Brother Rowe, okay? Nursing home elderly, talk to Brother Rowe. He's putting together things for the elderly as well. Next slide. That's myself, preaching, right? Christian education, that's choosing curriculum, making sure the Bible classes go as they should, teaching, technology, uh, some group and personal evangelism when we go out and we minister to others. That's myself. Okay. Next slide. Brother Wayne Stevens, if you see a hole in the wall, that's the one to tell. All right. If you see ant piles outside, that's the man that you go talk to. If you see the grass isn't cut, go talk to this brother. Building, maintenance, grounds, visitors. If we have visitors, this is the person that's going to be getting in touch with you. He's going to send you a letter. He's going to send you a letter more than likely. He's not going to email you. He's going to send you a letter. Or either call you. Uh, care group leader as well. Next slide. Uh, Joshua Williams. This is a brother that's uh, over looking over the youth. He also works with Brother Rowe with worship. And going to get with Brother Arnold on finance. All right? Now, this is, a, this is how Avenue G is currently set up. But we cannot exist in this way forever. We have to continue to mature. Okay? We have to continue to mature because what's going to happen is this is, what, this is what biblical leadership calls you for. When you are in biblical leadership and people know that this person is an elder, this person is a deacon, and they are responsible for such and such, then we have somebody who is committed. Right? We have somebody who is committed, and we know that they're going to be here. We know that they're going to take care of things the way they should be taken care of. And that's what we need in the church because if we're taking care of those external things, and we can focus on the word of God and getting it to the people who need it. Amen. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8. Just that single verse there. Read that for me, Brother Arnold. Likewise, uh-huh. deacons must be reverent. Deacons must be reverent. Not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. I need you to understand that what Paul is starting off here by saying is when he says likewise, he says that there is not just characteristics and qualifications for the elders to live by and to have. He's saying also deacons have a standard too. Deacons also have a standard. He said the deacons are to be reverent. And some of your versions read serious or grave, right? And that's not saying that the deacons must be somebody who is boring 
or somebody who doesn't have a personality, what that means is, is that a deacon must be someone who is worthy of respect. Now, as you'll see, there is a cycle that continues here. As he talks about elders and deacons, it is important that the elder and the deacon have a good reputation both outside and inside the church. Are you somebody who is worthy of respect? Now, you, you, may, you may look at this for a moment here. You may think, I, I, I think I, I deserve respect, right? <laughs> I, I deserve respect. How do you present yourself to the world? How does the world perceive you? Does your wife even respect you? Wives, understand that if you don't show your husband respect, you're showing everybody else how he needs to be treated. Amen. You ain't got to say amen. You got you to pardon this, wives. Reverend, the word here means someone who is worthy of respect. And Paul goes on, he's talking to Timothy. He said, also, the deacon must not be double-tongued. And what this word means in the original language is somebody who talks in two different directions. That's what that word means. Literally, it means somebody talking in two different directions. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever met the folks where you have a conversation with them and they'll be like, man, I can't get down with A, B, and C. And then you'll talk to somebody else who they talk to and they say, well, they just told me they do get down with A, B, and C. This is someone who talks in two different directions. And there are people who exist like this. There are people who are afraid to go against the grain. And so they agree with everybody. And somebody who, is a, who gets along with everybody, who never ruffles any feathers, at some point in their day, they're being fake. And that's what this is talking about here. It's talking about a hypocrite. You wear your real face at times, and then you put on the mask of another face. You say, preacher, that sure was a good sermon. Then you go to Golden Crow and say, that sermon was terrible. <laughs> speaking in two different directions right this is what he's talking about because this is why this is why he says it's important here because if you are a leader in the church what you speak needs to be what it is and that doesn't mean that it needs to be spoken in your way it means that it needs to be god's way all the time you need to be headed in the direction of god's word and not your own because we as human beings can be double tongued Speaking in two different directions. And we know we do it. We do it. And if you don't think that you do it, think about how you talk when you're at home and how you talk when you're at work. Because some of us got a work voice and some of us got a home voice. And you speak in two different directions. Y'all don't do that? Some of us got a home voice and some of us got a bill paying voice. Y'all better sit down and be quiet. Hello. This is... Speaking in two different directions, right? That's, 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 that's part of that. So he says that a deacon must be someone who is not speaking in two different directions. He needs to say what he says and mean what he says. Okay? He also goes on to say that he must not be given too much wine. Now, when we read this, all the alcoholics get happy because it says much. But I want you to understand that when we read this in context, I want you to understand what it's saying. Okay? 
Now, in, in this biblical times here, they did not have the same type of clean drinking water that we have today. Understood? Okay, they, did, they couldn't just go and turn on the faucet and get clean drinking water. And so they had wine that they did drink in order for them to get something to drink. But it has been proven, it is a fact, that the wine that they drink has much less alcohol than a beer or even a wine cooler today. Now, if you're an alcoholic or if you drink or if you're a, a social drinker, you know that wine coolers and beers and stuff don't have much alcohol in them, right? And these wine, this wine that they were drinking at this time was much less than what this was, okay? So don't get overly happy about this much, not drinkers of much wine. What Paul is trying to get across here, he says that this person who wants to be a deacon, he will not be given, he will not be addicted to being an alcoholic, to being drunk. Because you could get drunk off that wine if you drink too much, right? Being tipsy is drunk, yes. If that's a question, being tipsy is drunk. That is drunk. I need you to understand that if someone who wants to be a deacon doesn't care enough for their body to not take in alcohol and cause themselves to be inebriated and out of their right mind, how are they going to handle the business of God's body? All right? There is a 100% way not to be an alcoholic. Don't drink it all, okay? Verse number nine. Let's go to verse number nine. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And Paul says also the deacon must hold the mystery of faith. Do we have these things as singular verses? Go to verse number nine, the singular verse. Holding on to the mystery of faith. Now, this verb here, if you picture this in your mind as faith being just a physical object, this deacon grabs on to this mystery of faith and he does not let go. He does not let go. Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. Now, when you're talking about the mystery of faith, you see Paul, he explains the mystery of faith over and over again, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can take that note down because I didn't add that onto the slideshow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4, he talks about that mystery that God had and it that he's talking about is the gospel and the gospel being the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ for a long time it was hidden from humanity of what god plan was for salvation and god enacted this plan through his son jesus that's the mystery of the faith but he says that deacons must hold on to this thing that means that deacons can't be wavering from side to side on whether or not jesus is the christ and whether or not we can be saved through jesus they have to hold on strong to this thing it can't be something that could be compromised you can't say one day that Jesus can save you, then Allah can save you the next day. He can't say one day that, that the, the path towards baptism or path towards salvation is baptism, and another day the path towards baptism is a prayer. It's important that deacons hold on to the faith. They need to be able to protect the gospel. It's not just the job of the elders, it's not just the job of the preachers, but it is the job of the leadership to hold on tightly to the gospel. And then he says, with a pure conscience. And what that means is, it doesn't mean that he has a perfect conscience. But what that means is, is they are men who fix their mess when it's time to fix it. Because too often, we walk around 
as we are, knowing that we are living in sin, and we do absolutely nothing about it. But men who have a pure conscience will fix it. They will admit when they're wrong. They will get right with God when they need to get right with God. Amen. Verse number 10, the Bible says, but let these also, but let these also first be tested, first be tested. Now, what this word is speaking to here, this is speaking to what we do, wives, right? When your husband says, will you marry me? And he gives you a ring and it looks too big for a salary. And you check the diamond, right? You see if it scratches some glass. You see if the clarity is good. You see if the cut is good. You're testing that diamond to see if it's real, right? Not everybody did that, right? Some people did. Or this is how, like, whenever we go to our cars and we think our tire is low and we kick the tire. Is that low? Testing that tire. See if it's good enough for us to drive on. It says that a man who wants to be a deacon must first be tested. He must, we, Paul says you have to find out if he is truly genuine in doing and being what he says that he wants to be. Now, I want you to understand the word deacon, diakonos in the Greek, simply means servant. Right? That's a note that you should write down. Deacon means servant. Right? Is this man an actual servant or is he a tyrant? Is he a servant or is he just sometimes servant? Right? Can this man be held accountable and be responsible for the task that was given to him? That's what he's saying here. Paul is saying he first, don't just say, okay, I think that you'll be a good deacon. Here's the office. Let's pray over him, lay hands on him. He's a deacon. He says, no. He needs to do the work before he gets the job. That's an awkward thing, right? How many of us have been, how many of you were hired onto your jobs before you got the job? That's a little bit different, right? Paul says that you first have to work the job before you're given the responsibility and the task and the privilege of being a deacon. Must be faithful. You must see others as being more than yourselves first before you can be called a deacon. And then he says, once they've been tested, once they've proven that they are faithful to the task and the responsibilities that have been set before them, then let them serve, not lead, but then let them serve, not boss around, but then let them serve as deacons. And again, you see here this sandwich that is created by Paul, as he did with Timothy last week with the word blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that the man is perfect. This means he has a good reputation both inside and out. All right? Amen? Amen. Verse number 11. Likewise. Likewise. Their wives must be reverent. Mm. Not slanderous. Pause. Brother Arnold's trying to skip past this. Likewise, he says, in the same way, their wives must be reverent. This word in the original language is the same as that grave word and that serious word that you saw earlier for the deacon. The wife must be worthy of respect too. Someone can't be a deacon and then their wife be shameless or shameful. There are plenty of men who are great servants 
great servants in the body, but then their wives disqualify them because they're not worthy of respect. They go on their jobs and they cuss out their bosses. They talk to their bosses like, y'all remember that show, Everybody Hates Chris? She always quitting the job. My husband has two jobs. I don't need this. They don't have good reputations inside and outside the church. Understand that you not only hurt your husband, but you also hurt the church. Okay? Now, I'm not going to get too much into this because next week is the the wives of leaders. Uh, It says also what? Not slanderers. Not slanderers. This means that your wife is not somebody who talks about someone else to put their name through the mud. Okay? She doesn't get on the phone and put people's name through the mud. She doesn't get on Twitter and put people's name through the mud. Right? We'll talk more about this next week. Temperate. Faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. Go to the next verse because I don't want to preach next week's sermon. Verse let, number 12. Let deacons be the husband of one wife. He says here in verse 12, let deacons be the husband of one wife. And this right here literally, one woman man. Right? Now, we look at this sometimes, and like I said last week, a lot of us have been taught inaccurately that this means that if a man has a husband, his wife dies, and then he has another wife, then that's two wives, and he can't be a deacon. That's not what this is saying here. Paul Timothy, Titus existed in the time where polygamy was big. Where somebody could have a wife and a concubine or 300, right? But someone who is a deacon must be a one-woman man. Husband of one wife. Alright? Is that clear? Alright? This is important because if a man exists in his household, and he can't be faithful to who he's supposed to be faithful to. And his faithfulness and his devotion is divided at home. What's going to happen when it comes to the church? Is he going to be 100% devoted to what the church needs? Amen. Amen. And then he goes on to say what? Ruling their children in their own houses well. their children in their own houses well. Paul here says that a deacon must have children. All right? That right there, when you read this on the surface, a deacon must have children. Yes, that is clear. But he also says that he must have children and he must rule his own house well. That means that he has to manage his house well. When you have children, and I want to tell you this, if you don't have multiple children, your children will not be the same. You will pray that they all be they are the same, but they won't be the same. One might have an attitude. Well, there might be one who listens to everything you say. One might just think they're grown already and they don't have to listen to nobody. And as a husband, the head of the house, you have to learn to manage all of those personalities well. They have to respect you. They have to learn that you are an authority figure. They have to learn that it isn't just authority and discipline that exists in your house, but there can also be love in your house. And there can also be fun in your house. These are the things that you teach. These, this is how you manage your household well. Because when you look at Jesus and how he dealt with the 12, Jesus did not just start whipping on these 12 men when they start acting up. When Peter started acting up and start being who he used to be, he said, Simon, 
He didn't call him Peter. He gave him the name Peter. When he started acting foolish, he said, Simon. Simon, you're acting like you used to act. I got to call you Simon. And he calls it to his attention. Okay, Jesus is trying to teach me something. But then at the same time, he had to tell Judas, look, man, I already know what you did. I already knew you betrayed me. Go, go do what you need to do. Didn't condemn him. Didn't slap him saying, I, I know what you did. He just said, go do what you need to do. That's something to be learned. We look at God the Father and how he dealt with the children of Israel. Sometimes he had to whoop them. He had to put them in Babylonian captivity. He had to allow things to overcome them when they didn't listen. But then at other times, he had to come and pull them close and say, here, I love you. I know that you're doing wrong. I'm going to bless you anyway. And he manages his household properly. And he pays attention and he knows the times when to do certain things. Okay? Husbands, you have to do the same thing in your own households. Because if you can't manage your own household well, and your children and your wife are all out of order, we don't need that in the church. Okay? And finally, Paul says in verse number 13, he says, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. God needs men who will serve the needs of the church. As the elders view the church from up high, making sure that we are headed in the right direction, making sure that the church is getting the right sustenance for growth, the deacons are closer to the people making sure that we have a clear path there. But those who seek to be deacons must have characteristics that will not stop movement. And they must first prove that they can be servants. On this evening, we'll continue this and we'll talk about the functionality and and how to apply this this office of being deacons at 5 p.m., just so you don't say you forgot the time. The message for this evening will be get her done, man. Get her done, man. We need some men who get her done, all right? When a church needs something done, we need some men who get her done. Because when we can get her done, then the church can continue to grow. Amen? If you're not a Christian on this morning, I want you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has something special for you. He wrote a love letter to you. It starts off in Genesis and ends in Revelation. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to understand that God can absolutely change your life. He can absolutely change your life. He sent his son Jesus to this earth for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to understand, it does not matter how much wrong that you've done in your life. It does not, we're going to wait for the brothers here. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It does not matter how people see you. It doesn't even matter how you see yourself. God still sees you as valuable. And his son Jesus is the path towards salvation. Do you believe that message? Do you believe it? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to say, and this is what repentance is, I changed my mind about the wrong things that I've been doing. That starts a change in action. And then you continue on from there and you're baptized for the remission of your sins. On the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were baptized for the remission of their sins. When historically we know that there were probably close to a million, if not over a million people there. Everyone won't obey the message. Will you obey the message? Will you be baptized for the remission of your sins like those 3,000 souls on that day? 
come if you like to be baptized. Come if you stand in need of prayer as we sing the song of invitation. Oh, Lord, and oh, Lord, and oh, Lord, you restore. Oh, Lord, sing, oh, 